here we go. Blasting off. Relationship reboot. Week number two. Two of five. Yes. So exciting. I love it. So let's join together in prayer and be so grateful and so thankful for the love of God that reveals the truth about our life. We are grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the unlimited, unprecedented flow of perfect love. The healing is happening now. We are grateful and thankful to open our minds to infinite intelligence, divine wisdom, true clarity. We're grateful and thankful to open ourselves to relationship healing. Yes, we're calling it forth. Recognizing that in truth, we have only one relationship. One relationship. It is a relationship we're having with ourselves. It is a relationship that we're having with everyone else. It is a relationship that God is having with itself by means of us. And so we're grateful and thankful to participate, recognizing that all of our relationships are infinite and eternal. We are grateful and thankful to claim the healing in our relationships right now. We're grateful and thankful to claim the healing in our mind and in our heart right now. We are grateful and thankful to claim our responsibility. We're claiming our ability to respond to everything with love. This ability is innate. It is pre-installed. And we are grateful and thankful to recognize we have the ability to respond with love. We have the ability to have our knee-jerk reaction, if you will, to any and all situations and circumstances be perfect love, compassion, patience, understanding, willingness, We're setting ourselves free. We're grateful and thankful to share the benefits of our healing and our expansion with all beings because we're one with them. So grateful to share the healing, to share the love, to share the insight and the wisdom and the forgiveness. We're grateful and thankful to know that we are already free in the mind of the infinite. We know it's done. And so we allow the healing to be. We allow it to fully express and reveal. And in gratitude, we simply say, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes. So grateful. Indeed. So very grateful. (sighs) So, We're going to cover a lot in these relationship reboot classes, and I like to keep it very practical, very, very practical. So one thing for you to understand that's, I think, critical for our spiritual healing is to understand that we're going to become more aware of the discordances We're going to become more aware of the thoughts that we're thinking that are not loving. We're going to become more aware 
of situations and circumstances that don't feel good. We're going to become more aware of what is not harmonious. We're going to become more aware of things that feel unloving. And as we're transitioning into a more awakened state, it can seem disturbing to have more awareness. This is why the ego will do everything it can to shut you down and to say, you can't do this. This is too hard. Oh, this is too much. No, 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 no. This, I No, you can't do this. You do not have what it takes. Honey, other people might be able to do this, but not you. You're too far gone. No, no. Jennifer doesn't understand. You are way too far gone for this. I, believe me, I know all those ego tricks. I, my my experience of the ego similar to yours. You know, we all have our different experience, but it's all similar. That pattern of separation that makes us feel so bad and so wrong, so unredeemable. One of the things that I realized in my 20s was that my favorite stories, my favorite movies, my favorite plays, my favorite stories were redemption stories. I just loved all kinds of stories about redemption. Uh, Martin Scorsese was one of my favorite, is one of my favorite directors. His movies are almost always 100% about redemption. Going through hell to get to a place of release. And uh, that's what a lot of our life experience is. It feels like we're going through hell to get there. So instead of focusing on the hell we're experiencing now or the hell that we have experienced in the past, we turn our attention to the loving choices that are at hand in the moment now. We train ourselves to be present in the moment now so that when we feel a disturbance, we feel an upset, we feel that divine alarm clock going off in our physical body, in our emotional body, in our mental body, we recognize, ah, this is my opportunity to become more aware and awareness is healing, awareness is curative. So when we're more aware of what's going on, we can make conscious choices for love. When we're not aware or half aware or a little bit aware, we're much more likely to say, eh, that doesn't matter. Those snarky remarks, oh, come on, they're, you know, whatever. We we make all kinds of allowances for the ego. But when we're really identified with our higher self, we understand that we don't wish to give the ego any leeway. And we begin to learn through our practice that every opportunity we have to recalibrate in the midst of an upset is a victory. It is a victory for us. It is a victory for love, which is what we are. It's a victory for God. It's a victory for spirit. And so we begin to gain momentum. Ah, another victory. I was patient. Even though I felt irritable, I found it within me to be patient. 
Even though I wanted to make a sarcastic remark, I held my tongue. Victory. Victory. You'll notice that uh, you often, if you're tracking me, (laughs) you'll notice that I often have pictures of me in what I now call my signature move with my arms up in the V sign. V for victory. I am victorious. Love is victorious. And when I... There are times when uh, there are moments of challenge and I find a loving choice and I make that choice. I do it even at home. I throw my arms up in the air and I say, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. This is the antidote to all those years of saying you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. It's not possible for you. There's something wrong with you. You're broken. You're unfixable. Nobody knows how bad you really are. All those things I said to myself. Now I say, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. I do that. I say it three times. For power. For power. Three is the number of the ascended masters. So I go for that three. (laughs) The triple father... Mother God, Holy Spirit, Christ Child. Yes, the Trinity. Victory is mine. So we learn to be grateful when we're triggered because the trigger is letting us know. Think of it this way. Let's say you lived in a house that had a big, beautiful yard big lawn, expansive lawn. But that lawn had a hundred or a thousand landmines buried in it. You wouldn't want to go out in that yard much, would you? But if you could find a mechanism to detect where they were, and then as soon as you knew where they were, you could call in a miraculous team what the higher self is, what the I am presence is, what the Holy Spirit or the angels are, and say, oh, please remove this landmine I just discovered. That's what it's like. And then it's gone. You can let it go. Remember, all that's required for you to let that unexploded bomb, or maybe you've exploded it so many times, just keeps going off in your face, You can give that one up for healing. And as soon as you are truly sincere, you will be rid of it. That's what it requires. It just requires our sincerity, sincere willingness. That's what we're cultivating in this class. The sincere willingness to let the landmines go. Let our people go. So when there's an emotional, physical, mental breakdown, it gives you the opportunity to practice what you're learning. If you don't practice it, you won't know it because the intellect doesn't know anything. The ego is run uh, runs the intellect. The spirit runs your heart. So when you're challenged, when you're triggered, when you're challenged, when it feels difficult, 
and you still commit to looking for the loving choice, to partnering up, to being grateful for things just as they are. Okay, I'm feeling triggered. Whew, this is going to require a lot more patience than I ever, ever had before. Well, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to expand my ability to practice patience. I'm grateful that I can be grateful and rather than just screaming or finding a knife and killing people like a banshee. Oh, I'm so grateful. I just took a moment to pause here and find my center again. Look for the loving choice. Oh, my God, I am so grateful. This trigger is giving me so many opportunities to strengthen the muscle of my awareness. Oh, so many blessings encoded right here. I receive them all. I accept them all. I am a blessed person. It's happening now. I'm receiving my blessings now. Oh, this is such a beautiful moment. Even though I might feel threatened, even though I might feel afraid, even though I might feel like vomiting, even though I might want to run away, if I can just be still and know I am God. And in that willingness, the way will be shown to me. The sea will be parted, literally. We begin to live this way. And then we start to live a miraculous life. And we start to realize, oh my God, I could have been living a miraculous life a long time ago. Well, I'm so glad it's already started. I'm doing it now. So the breakdowns are for the strengthening of your mind. The breakdowns do not mean that you're failing. They do not mean that you're failing. They mean that you are succeeding. It's true. It's tempting to look at the breakdowns and and the the challenges, the so-called problems, and say, oh, if I were more something, this wouldn't be happening to me. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Jesus had major challenges. Was it because he was a loser? No. The Dalai Lama has had major challenges in his lifetime. Is it because he's an idiot? No. We have challenges because in this world, that's how we learn and grow. And we learn through contrast. So this is the world of duality. This is the world where we experience a sense of separation. It's very unique in that. There are many worlds. As Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. There are many worlds. We chose the world where we learn about duality. We have an experience of it, and we realize we we don't wish to live in a world of duality. We do not wish to be the God of our world. We wish to know the true God the God that is personal and loving and free. And that's what we're doing. So in our relationship reboot classes, you see what we start to discover is our relationships give us a constant source of triggers. Constant source of triggers. Constant source of triggers to strengthen us, to liberate us, to set us free. How wonderful. I do encourage you, if you have the time, to listen to my recent relationship classes, uh, not classes, radio shows. 
that I did in February, early March. And uh, I, I usually do uh, relationship classes in February. My Course in Miracles radio show, you know, you can get the podcast. Just search for me or search for A Course in Miracles, you'll find it. And uh, so many relationship shows in there. So you can always get more insight from A Course in Miracles perspective there. But in this uh, series of classes, we are practicing specific things in regard to relationships. And I'm going to be taking some questions here uh, about your specific relationships. Now, let's just t- talk on a very practical level here. Very, very practical. I, I like practical. I like things that we can learn to do and things that we can stop doing. You know, so just it gives us a chance to practice, feel successful, and see the results. So some of the things that have become habitual we're not even aware of are really relationship, what's the word here, Mm, very destructive to relationships, many of the things that we have a habit of doing. And uh, many times it's what we grew up with. It's what we grew up with, so we don't even know that this is unacceptable. And I remember um, back in my, when I was in my 20s, I moved in with uh, my sweetheart, and he was uh, older than me. I think he was 14 years older than me. And uh, he had two young children and a former wife. And they had been unhappily married for a long time. And they had become very vindictive towards one another, very vindictive. And they were playing all kinds of games, and they stayed together for the children until they just couldn't do it anymore. And so um, they had these habits of being vindictive. And so I remember the first time that my sweetie and I had a fight, and we got into it. And I was a real fighter then. I was a scrapper, believe me. This was a long time ago. <laughs> so uh, we got into a fight, but I had, I had, uh, I still had love for myself and self-esteem. Uh, and he, I can't remember now what it was he said, but he said something to me that was really unkind. And we hadn't been together that long. And I just looked at him and I said, Okay, honey, I just need you to know something. You used to live with somebody that you could talk to that way, but you don't live with her anymore. You live with me, and I'm sorry. You know we're not going to speak that way to each other because we love each other, so we're we're not going to talk that way to each other. We're going to speak kindly even when we're upset. We're going to speak kindly. We're going to take responsibility for how we feel. We're going to... Be, be loving. We have an intention to be loving. You know, say how you feel. Yes, definitely. Make me responsible for it. Blame me for it. Uh, no, no. And uh, not that, not that I was an angel back then. Uh, no, I'm not claiming that. But it was just, it was a shock to my system that someone who loved me would speak to me that way. 
So people become inured to how they talk with each other and the habits of how they relate to each other. Some things that I noticed have noticed over the many years of my being in relationship with people that people do that they don't even know that are extremely unkind, unloving, disrespectful, and unhelpful in a relationship and relating to each other. Some of those things are huffing and puffing. Someone is made a request of you. Something is happening in the home, in the office, in the relationship that you don't like. And you huff and you puff. So you make sounds like, Often it comes with that little tisk, right? Sometimes you just get the tisk. Sometimes you just get the... Who likes to hear that? Nobody likes to hear that. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm going to ask people to raise their hands if you'd like to share. Who knows what that means when you hear that? Start two, please. Do you have any idea what that means when you hear that? Oh, cool. Rosemary. Rosemary, you want to tell us what you think it means? Oh, she's lowered her hand. Carol, you want to tell us what you think it means? I think you muted out there, Carol. I don't. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't care. Uh huh. Mhm. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. And uh, when someone makes that sound in response to you, how does it feel? Feels like they don't care. That they don't want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. Yep. I know what you mean. Thank you, Carol. Hi, uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Can you hear me? Yeah, you know, you're on that web call thing, and it just has a lot of distortion around your voice. Oh, okay. I see. Yep, so quick answer. Oh, it it means that I'm going to do what you told me to do, but I'm just giving up here, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it because... I I I I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. So, because I feel like I have to do it. That's what that's what I'm going to say on it. Okay, thank you, Rosemary. Let's see here. Hey, Rosemary. I'm sorry. I I I lost you last time. I'm sorry. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm. Unfortunately, I think I'm the one that does the huffing and puffing. Yeah, me too. I used to be a huffer and puffer. I thought that's well, what you were supposed to do. That's what we all did in my family. <laughs> well, I'm glad you pointed it out. I'll watch that. So what do you when you do it, what does it mean? What are you communicating to the others? Well, um I guess I probably feel a little put upon in that haven't I done enough already today or something like that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Rosemary. We've got Jenny raising her hand here. Hey, Jenny. Hey, hi. Um, so that to me sounds like, um, oh, do we have to talk about this again? Or, mm. um, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, it, it just definitely makes me feel like, um, uh, devalued. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good one. All right. Thank you, Jenny. We've got Brennan raising their hand here. Hey, Brennan. Hi. Hi. So when I hear that, I usually feel like um, someone is really honestly miserable but doesn't even feel like it's worthwhile to talk to me and work it out. Like I'm not even worth investing the energy to work it out. Right. Yeah, got it. Good one. Yep. Thank you, Brennan. Got Sally raising her hand here. Hey, Sally. Hi there. Um, to me, it really represents, or what I'm, the first word that came to my mind was annoyed. That mm. you know, if I if I'm making the huffy breath or listening to somebody else make the huffy breath, it it tells me. You know, I'm annoyed that you're even asking or that, that you're even commenting. And I really, yeah, like someone said, I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much, Sally. We've got Grace raising her hand here. Hey, Grace. Hey, Jennifer. Um, when I, I guess I'm thinking about my kids when they roll their eyes mm-hmm. at me or they make that sound. I feel like mm-hmm. they just disrespected me. I feel yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Indeed. Yep. Does it feel intentional? Like they're trying to convey it? That's uh-huh. what they're trying to convey. Yes, I think that they're whether they're consciously doing it or not. That they're just pretty much, you know, disrespecting me and. And that that's, I mean, I think that when other people do it, it doesn't bother me as much as when my children do it, because I guess I have this belief that they should be respectful. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if somebody else does it, oh, I kind of just, I mean, I feel like I, like they've, like they've already closed me off or shut me off, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have the impact that when, like when my children do it. And I think that's just mm-hmm. part of my upbringing about mm-hmm. a very Catholic, Mexican, mm, traditional upbringing. And mm-hmm. so that's something that just tends to, you know, hit me where, like, right in, right where, like, my ego, like, oh, my God, you just disrespected me. How rude of you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get it. Thank you. All right, and we've got Kevin raising his hand here. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. Um, I feel that it's um, creating like an opinion or judgment um, to separate yourself from the other person. And it's also a form of like superiority to kind of 
make the other person feel lesser than. I know to me that feeling of the huffing and puffing it's a burden. I feel my uh, my sense is that whether I'm the one in my family that's what it means. Oh, you're a burden. That's another sound. It's not quite huffing and puffing. It's not quite oh, like I'm disgusted with you. I just oh, god. Oh, this is so burdensome. Now, uh, the next thing I was going to bring up is, and thank you, everybody. A lot of people certainly got that, right? There's the communication. It's universal. It's universal. <laughs> I bet you the Europeans are sleeping right now and, and whatnot, but um, folks around the world that sound, oh, we know it. It, it's uh, it's universal. It's global. It's disrespectful. It's you're a burden. This is an imposition. I don't like this. I'm not happy now. We're trying to convey how we feel without being direct. It's called passive aggressive. So passive aggressive. A lot of people hear the term passive aggressive but they don't really understand what it is. So passive-aggressive, there's a, a whole you know, world of passive-aggressive behavior that we're going to undo in our relationship reboot classes. This is part of our goal here, is to really recalibrate to being loving, to being awake, so that we're not unconsciously being passive-aggressive. So when we're being aggressive, we're not really uh, being loving. Now, we can be direct, and we can be direct in an aggressive, unloving way, and we can be direct in a respectful, kind, loving, compassionate way. That's what we're going for, is being direct and being loving. Not everything needs to be said. Not everything needs to be said uh, 
by us. And not everything needs to be said by us right now in this moment. If you start to really open your mind and cultivate this awareness, this loving awareness, you'll realize that a lot of things that you feel must be said in the moment. I've got to tell my truth that if you just take a breath and you say, I'm going to wait until I can say it without judgment, that day may never come. And if you can't say it without judgment, it's best not to say it at all. Because honestly, I've done the research. No good can come of anything you say with judgment, with attitude, with malice. No good. Your desires will not be fulfilled that way. You already know that. So now let's practice what we already know. We already know that. We knew that a long time ago. Let's really be grown-ups now and practice loving communication. So... Uh, Grace brought up something that was going to be my next thing, which is the rolling of the eyes. Rolling of the eyes. Now, rolling of the eyes is a bit different, but they often come together. The rolling of the eyes and the... They often come together, but the rolling of the eyes is slightly different. Anybody like to venture their own perception of the, the difference that the rolling of the eyes might be for them? Start two to raise your hand. Okay, I'm not sure who this is in Santa Monica. Hey there. Oh, hi, this is Suzanne. How are you? I'm good. Hey, Suzanne. You know, to me, the the eye roll comes across as sort of uh, passive-aggressive and disrespectful. I, I actually sort of abandoned a friendship over it at one point mm. because the person constantly, you know, there was one form of, I don't know, whatever it was that I was always talking about, probably a relationship. And my friend, she would really wouldn't say much, but she would constantly roll her eyes at me. And I just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I really kind of pulled completely away. So it made me feel disrespected, devalued, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just say, if you were going to put words to that eye roll, mm-hmm. what would the words be? I, the person who could, couldn't roll their eyes, they could only give words. What would they the could words only, be? It would have been like, you're such an idiot. You're so stupid. I can't believe, you know, you're still talking about this. And whatever it is that you're feeling, I just think it's ridiculous. Why don't you snap out of it? That was everything I was getting out of the eye roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I would say that that that's probably how m- many people would mean it. Uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, this yep. is foolish. Mm-hmm. You're you're an idiot. Yeah. Mhm. Yep. Did you? I'm just curious, Suzanne. Did you ever mm-hmm. ask your friend, "Hey, what's that eye rolling about?" You know, at the time, I never did. I, I don't know why yeah. I did. Um, you know, I think the, the self uh, or the um, passive aggressive stuff comes uh, really naturally to me because when I was growing up, um, speaking directly and saying what you uh, really were feeling was really frowned mm-hmm. upon. So that was really the only 
thing that you had was your little passive aggressive things over time. Mm -hmm. So I would Mm -hmm. really like Mm -hmm. to unwind some of that. Yes. Yes. And you shall. Mm -hmm. You are. Good. We're doing it together. Yes. Thank you, Suzanne. Anyone else have anything to add to the eye rolling? I think we got it covered, but any other thoughts around the eye rolling? You know, I, in some ways, I, I think once we move out of these habits, then we can we can laugh about it. We can say to a friend, "Oh, I roll my eyes at you," <laughs> and laugh. You know, and say um, to to joke about it. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, we got to get well past it to be able to do that. Um, Hmm. Anna, there we go. Okay, is it, uh, is it, I'm sorry about the web call thing, but I am having a lot of technological difficulties. And sometimes yeah, I Yeah, I would like just I, recommend that in the future you just try Skype next time. Skype, Skype. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll have to yep. figure out which phone. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask somebody how to, um, how to, how to connect via Skype because I'm, I have some memory issues and stuff like that. So I'm a little bit, hesitant on um jumping in because i have this kind of a yep that's okay technology yep we have instructions on the website and uh angela can definitely help you okay that that would be very helpful i I, thank you very much um well the rolling of the eyes thing to me is kind of like where people are saying that you know what that person's kind of crazy I'm just going to roll my eyes at them and be like, you know what? And, and you share, I see it a lot more in group situations because I don't really, I don't really, I haven't really rolled my eyes at somebody. Maybe I have, I don't know. Maybe I have rolled my eyes at people individually, but um, usually it's kind of like saying, you know, that's kind of crazy what you're talking about. That There's something kind of crazy about that or something like that. Like, it's just like, you you got to be kidding me. That's the kind of thing that comes in my head. It's like, Whatever you're saying, you got to be kidding me. That that's the kind of re- retort I'm getting mentally about that. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Anon. Yes. Yep, it's like that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Exactly. All right. So we can recognize we don't like it when people do these things to us. Let's not do it to anyone else. It's really, really helpful. Another thing is tone, tone of voice. We know the tone of voice that's loving. We know the tone of voice that's unloving. We know the tone of voice that might as well be rolling their eyes. We know the tone of voice that's definitely huffing and puffing. We know the tones of voice that are unloving. So, if we would like to not hear those tones anymore, we have to not use them anymore because like attracts like. Now, here's what I can tell you is that in my family, um, when I was younger, uh, it was perfectly acceptable for people to huff and puff and roll their eyes. Why not? In my family, why not? 
it was perfectly acceptable to accuse people people of things and to say, you made me feel this, you made me feel that, you disappoint me, all kinds of attachments, all kinds of judgments and opinions. It was perfectly reasonable to be sarcastic. And all that was just par for the course. And still, we're a loving family, a caring family. And But there was a lot of unloving, uncaring stuff mixed in there. Lots of mixed messages. And I would venture to say that that's how most of us grew up. And that's how most of us have operated. But I moved to, started to move into the space of having a desire to take responsibility for everything that I said and did and to make loving choices. I had a desire to really be kind to myself because I reached a point where I wanted to kill myself. And I felt that this was when I was about, I don't know, 26 years old, I wanted to kill myself. But I didn't feel that I could because I didn't feel my family deserved that, and I knew it would just devastate them. And so I I decided to not kill myself and to find some way to cope. And I started to surrender. I started to recognize I do not know how to live a happy life. In fact, the reason why I initially felt suicidal was because I did not know how to live a happy life. And I couldn't figure it out. And I, my ego was like, I've done everything I can. I've tried to do everything. Everything I can to make this a happy life. To have the happy dream. But it's not working. I am not happy. I am the opposite of happy. I'm miserable. And I feel hopeless and helpless. And if I have no power and I can't make myself happy, if I can't figure it out, if I've got the ideal job and the ideal apartment and the ideal boyfriend and the ideal everything and I'm still not happy, I might as well just kill myself. Because what good is it? There's nothing in this world can make me happy. Why stay? That's That was how I felt. And so, but I decided not to because of love, because of the love of my family. And so, once again, love saved the day. And so I just gave up thinking I knew what would make me happy. I just said, well, I just, I, clearly, I don't know. I don't know how to be happy. I don't know how to live a successful life. I don't know how to do these things. So I'm just going to stop thinking that I do know. And I am going to try and find a a way because I don't know. And initially, initially, I, I really just wanted to blot everything out. But then that got tiresome, you know. I got tired of drinking every night and just trying to, Blot that out. That became, uh, well, that wasn't my way. And uh, I, that's when I began to spiritually wake up. I began to try spirituality. Started to meditate. Do things like that. I started to find my way. And 
uh, I found a therapist, a spiritual counselor who had a very spiritual approach, and she helped me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, I was very dedicated to doing that work for several years. And I, I, I learned to how to look at all the things I didn't want to look at, all the monsters in the closet, all the monster boogeyman under the bed. I became willing to look at all that stuff. And I became willing to feel the feelings that I had long not felt. And it was the focus of my life for several years. That became the focus of my life. And I started to find my way to self-love and to happiness. And it was very challenging for me but I didn't give up I kept going and in the midst of that after a few years of really working at it I went to my parents and when they said something sarcastic or unkind to me I said so here's the deal I've decided that I'm going to be kind to myself, really speak kindly to myself. And I'm asking everyone in my life, everyone who's close to me, to treat me with kindness and compassion and understanding and not to speak sarcastically or unkindly towards me. Now, And I said, now, I'm asking you to do that as well. And I'm asking for it 100% of the time. All the time. That's what I'm asking for. And I said, look, it's taking me years to learn how to treat myself with total love and kindness. I'm not there yet. So I'm not saying you have to be there overnight. But I am saying we we have to be moving in that direction in order for this relationship to continue to be one in which I spend time with you. I love you, you're my parents, but I'm really only choosing to spend time with people who are willing to treat me with ever-increasing love and kindness. And if you're not into that, that's okay. But that's what I'm asking you for. And so I had to learn to have a lot of compassion. And so when they would say sarcastic things and unkind things, I had to learn to say, hey, remember how I said about the loving kindness? This does not feel loving and kind to me. What's going on here? Let's talk about this. Because I mean it. I really, it's got to have loving and kindness. Got to, you know, be in that conversation. So I I was giving myself leeway. I wasn't 100%, so I didn't expect anybody in my life to be 100%. And that was okay. But we had to be moving in that direction. And there were a couple of times where I said, look, this this is not acceptable to me, this way you're talking to me, the way you're treating me right now. So here's my bottom line. If that's how you wish to continue to be able to treat me, then, you know, we'll still be related, but we will not be seeing each other. We will not be spending time together because I mean it. 
And I said to them uh, one or two points. I said, honestly, if I were you, I would be so grateful that my child has enough self-esteem. She's not going to let anybody treat her badly. I think that's a great thing. So this is what I'm asking for. This is what we're working towards. And I never had to say to them, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Because the real truth of it was, I was always just talking to myself, even when I thought I was talking to my parents or my brother. I really was only talking to myself. And so, because there's only one. We're only ever talking to ourselves. You know, sometimes people treat me unkindly now, but I now I'm 100% certain it has nothing to do with me. 100% certain. And so I have compassion. It's cry for love. I don't have to take it personally. Sometimes, you know, when it's a family member or a close friend, it does feel personal. And there is the the impulse to take it personally, and you have to work with it, bring yourself back to center, and realize that no one will treat you badly who treats themselves well. No one who really loves themselves will treat anybody else without love and compassion just the facts of life these are the facts the question is do you allow people to treat you unkindly and when they do do you go into being reactive or can you take a pause see this is a trigger look within contact your higher self I don't know what anything is for, but I'd like to. I'm never upset for the reason I think. I'm upset because I think they should treat me better. But if this is how they treat themselves, they're not going to treat me better. I have to know this is not personal. And I can ask for what I'd like. And I can start by giving myself what I'd like. So we're learning to have new conversations, but honestly, I'm 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 really emphatic about this. If you are judging people, do not tell them how you feel. There are rare exceptions to that, and so I share a time one time when I was having a conversation with my brother, brother, my brother, <laughs> 20 years ago something like that, and um, he was sharing some political views uh, with me that I didn't quite agree with, and uh, it triggered some judgments that I had, and I, I knew that there was no good in articulating them, so I was just quiet for a minute thinking about what do I say, what's going on here, how do I really feel, so when I recognized what was going on, I just looked at him and I said, you know what? When you say that, all it brings up for me is judgments. And I could share with you my judgments, but there'd be no good that would come from that. You would just judge me back, and judgments would go back and forth. We've been having a nice conversation. I'm enjoying talking with you. I don't have a desire to wreck it with a bunch of judgments, because I know for sure, for an absolute fact, my judgments are meaningless. They do not serve me. There's no point in articulating them. So to be honest with you, I really don't know what else to say right now. That's all I got for you.
And he looked at me with a frown on his face, and I, I knew the thought in his mind was something like, who are you and what did you do with my sister? Because I used to be so judgmental and so sarcastic. I always had sarcastic comments about everything, judgmental comments about everything. In fact, I used to say frequently, if you ever need an opinion, just come to me. I'll always have one for you. And, you know, my life really changed because I remember one of my best friends, we got together for the weekend and uh, we'd been hanging out for a while and she said, you know, Jennifer, you used to be a lot funnier. And I said, it's true because I used to be very sarcastic and bitter. And you could always make jokes that way and get an easy laugh. But I don't feel sarcastic and bitter anymore. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not funny like that anymore. She was like, yeah, yeah, I miss that. <laughs> I totally understand. I totally understand. And I remember one time I had a new friend that I started to hang out with and they would make sarcastic comments towards me and make fun of me in a sarcastic way. And uh, I remember, this was not so long ago, uh, maybe half a dozen years ago or something like that, and I would just look at them and I'd say, why are you saying that? And they're like, well, I'm just teasing you. I'm just, you know, I'm just making a joke. And I'd say, yeah, but really, why are you saying that? Why are you doing that? And they were like, oh, come on, can't you take a joke? I'm like, of course I can take a joke, but you're saying sarcastically unkind things. Um, why are you doing that? And I had another friend uh, that we were getting together one of the first times, and she did the same thing. She started making fun of the way I was cutting up the carrots, we were cooking dinner. And I said, uh, I was just like, huh, that's weird. And she, I, I just looked at her and she was like, oh, come on. Just, can't you take a joke? And I said, well, but you just said, you just said something mean, actually, and sarcastic. And she said, well, I'm just joking. I'm like, but, but why say it if it's mean and sarcastic? Why say it? And I realized in both of those instances that they were a bit nervous. And those sarcastic, teasing, joking kinds of comments put distance between you and somebody else. If you're getting close to someone, it feels intimate, and you don't feel comfortable, well, here comes some sarcasm. It breaks up the intimacy right away. So I'm inviting you to consider with your loved ones and the people you feel closest to, do you or do they use sarcasm to be like a little stick of dynamite to the intimacy and break it up? Put some distance between you, some sense of separation. So consider that. Think about that right now. Does that feel familiar to you? And if it does, would you be willing to share a little bit about it? Star two to raise your hand.
Does anyone find themselves making sarcastic remarks in their relationships? Carol's raising her hand. Good for you, Carol. Hey, Carol. Hi. Just Hi. Just days ago, I was talking to my sister and something I had done. Still, I can't remember what it was, though. She said, well, Don would have said this about that. Um making it sound like I was a dummy. And um, mm-hmm. I said, so what's that got to do with what's going on with us right now? What I, I said something, which surprised me. That must mean that's what you mean, not what he means. He's dead and gone. <laughs> anyway, that'll mm-hmm. come up, that working around using someone else's remark to create distance. Anyway, I, my feelings were hurt. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's. Do you mind talking about this a little bit more? Sure. Go ahead. No, I don't. Feelings were hurt. Thank you. Your feelings were hurt. So, what was the meaning that you made of it? Um, I felt like there was an attack, so I was judging it. Mm -hmm. Um, That I was dumb. Mm Hmm. It was like he was an older guy, and it was like, Daddy thinks I'm dumb. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing, yeah. Might have been getting an old wound. (laughs) uh Uh-huh. If you had X-ray vision and you could see into your sister, what do you think was motivating her to say that? Oh, let's see. Especially if you can think about it as sarcastic comments are a way to interrupt the intimacy. Can you think of what was actually happening uh, maybe immediately before she said that? I was talking about myself so we could listen to what's going on with me sometimes, wanting to share. Mm. Uh, I don't know. That, that one's so is it uh huh so is it possible that she was feeling a lack of confidence or a lack of um worthiness in that moment, and so she wanted to interrupt the intimacy to get you to disconnect or feel bad too? I think that's exactly it now that I think about it, mhm. Hmm. What would be the next step with that sort of thing? <laughs> How would a the good way to react or not react? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's why in the moment we practice taking that pause, breathing. I'm grateful and thankful that I remember to take a pause. I'm grateful and thankful that I'm remembering to breathe. Higher Holy Spirit Self, what is this about? What is the most loving choice for me in this moment? And then we can learn what it might be. I don't ever stop to ask. <laughs> that would that's a good one to start up. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I should put it on my palm for a while. 
<laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, one of the things that I have learned is one of the most effective things ever is to literally say, angels, angels, help me remember this. Angels, angels, help me remember this. Exactly, exactly. We don't have to say it again and again and again. We can. There's no harm in that. But we really can say, angels, if someone's ever sarcastic to me again, help me to remember to pause, partner up, breathe, be grateful, and look for the loving choice. And they will. They will. They'll be so happy to help. Because remember, there's time is non-existent. So it's always in the now moment. The angels are always there in the now moment, willing to help us. If only we would listen. If only we would listen. That's great. We've got a few more people raising their hands here. So thank you, Carol. That was a great uh, help to us. We've got Tammy raising her hand here. Hey, Tammy. Hi. Hi. Sorry about that. You did, I think. That's all right. I, we hear you now. Yeah, I no, I noticed exactly when you said um, when we're sarcastic, we're placing distance. Um between people and floods of just little memories just started happening in the moment with my mom and a couple of relationships Mm. and my brother and stuff. And, you know, I too am occasionally sarcastic or I call it sharp. Um, Mm -hmm. But it always catches me off guard. I'm like, wow, did I just say that? Um, mm. you know, and then there's that uncomfortable moment of not knowing what to do after that. And a lot of times I'll be like, oh man, I do not know where that came from. I'm really, really sorry. I'll have to take a look at that. You know, but yeah. when it's directed towards me, you know, especially when it's my mom or um, a friend, and my mom is brutally sarcastic. Um, and often downright mean, but she's like the only person in the world that I can't, I can't be totally honest with and say, mom, that, that hurts my feelings. Uh, you know, do you, why would you say that? Do you really mean that? You know, but I've heard that that's, I was just talking with someone today. My mom has conditioned me so well, mm. and I have received it so well my entire life that I, it's just normal behavior to me. But that I see that right there, she's just putting up. She's just keeping distance away from everybody. Uh-huh. It's really sad. I took her to the hospital last Sunday to the for psyche evaluation she is currently there and I'm just trying to breathe mm-hmm. so. yeah yeah so 
would you like, would you prefer that your mom not speak to you that way? Well, yeah, I prefer that my mom not speak to me that way or about anyone else that way. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it, my mom, okay, you, you'll hear me uh, protecting my mom. You'll hear me uh, making excuses for my mom. Um, I've been trying, you know, to do some tough love on myself and her around the situation. Mm-hmm. But but it's been it's been terribly tough because right now my mom, my she's been there a week and she has hit that point of I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be cooperative with this, and I'm done. So now. You're a lot of things I shouldn't say out loud, and you know, and, and this comes from my mom on a regular basis. Most of the time, what I do is I cut her off from my phone calls. I just tell them, "Okay, no more phone calls for Miss West," and be like, "Okay," <laughs> and I give her a week and let her calm down and let her, let her have her phone calls back. I don't know what else to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, there are a couple of things. First of all, it's painful for us if we cut people off and we withhold love. So we can still be loving in our mind, even if we recognize in the moment this is not a good time to be talking with this person. It's not doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't feel supportive. And um, it's, I find that it's easier to work in the invisible. Uh, it's more, far more effective to work in the invisible. So one thing you can do, Tammy, and I, uh, uh, are you working on a divine experiment right now? Uh, no, but this is a good one. <laughs> it is a good one. So, yeah. yeah. So we talked about that last week, and the instructions are there in the workbook. And so what you can do is you can start to think a thought like this. My mother is a kind and loving person. My mother is a kind and loving person. My mother is kind and loving towards me. I am willing to receive my mother's love and kindness. And keep Bring, when you think of your mother, start recalibrating in your mind. So you think of your mother, maybe the thought is initially you cringe or you feel upset or annoyed or irritated or disappointed or hurt or whatever it is you might be feeling in that particular moment. And then you move to the thought, I'm willing to receive my mother's love and kindness. My mother is a kind and loving person. My mother is kind and loving towards me, and I'm grateful that this is so. Thank you, God, for my mother. So it's really those statements. You think of your mother, you feel whatever the upset or irritation, frustration, sadness, anger, resentment, whatever it is, And you allow yourself to feel that and say, I am not interested in feeling that anymore. What I'd like to know is that my mother 
is a kind and loving person, and I am willing to receive my mother's love and kindness. My mother is treating me with love and kindness. I'm so grateful and thankful for my mother. Our relationship is healing now. And be be diligent in that. If you find yourself going down the road of complaining about your mother or blaming your mother, pull up those seeds right away. Oh, that's not what I'm interested in. Been there, done that. It's never going to change unless I change my mind. So I am willing to receive my mother's love and kindness. My mother is a kind and loving person. I'm grateful for my mother treating me with love and kindness. I'm grateful for my mother. Our relationship is healing, and I'm grateful for the healing now. Of course, everyone can do this. Are you willing to practice that? Oh, yeah. 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 Ever since I started so let us, this, this whole yeah, relationship let's... thing has really exploded. Yeah, it does. It does. Did you, you? So that's why I started in the beginning. Of, it's going to seem like it's a storm, but it's really this is the opportunity to practice and get good at it. Yeah. In shifting our mind, and it works. Will you keep us posted? Sure. Yeah, I've been posting a little bit here and there on Facebook about it. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Tammy. Thanks. All right. And we've got Lynn here raising her hand. I'm going to unmute you, Lynn. Hi, Jennifer. Can Hi. you hear me? Hi. Yes. Um, sarcasm. I, I don't think um, I've ever been, well, probably have been sarcastic in my lifetime, but for me, I've had more of an experience with my husband being very sarcastic towards me and joking and he grew up um, as a heavier boy as a child and he was picked on a lot so he used to say a lot that you know he that was his defense that was his way of making friends to joke about things and everybody would start laughing so he was like the class clown well interestingly enough when I first met him and I married him, that was a quality that I really liked about him because he was funny and he made me laugh and, you know, we had good times. And then as the years went on, um, the sarcasm started gearing towards me and my kids and it started to bother me and it started to bother me a lot. And he used to tell me, can't you tell when I'm joking? And he says, you've been married to me for, you know, 12, 15 years. Can't you tell when I'm joking? And I would look at him and I'd say, I can't tell, you know, because for me, it hurt. You know, a lot of times the sarcasm really hurt and I felt um, less than, not enough. And so right. it, took, it took many years for me to, um, I think, even begin to love myself enough to tell him that, I don't like this anymore. I don't. I. I don't want you to do this anymore. And there came a time when I finally started to express my feelings and let go of that fear of you know maybe he, you know if I tell him to stop doing this I'll be making him somebody that he's uncomfortable with. Mm. But um, it's it's definitely changed a lot. Um, it's taken a lot of it's taken a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a, you know a lot of just 
self-love and, and recognizing when he's saying something to me and he thinks he's being funny, but it's not funny. So that for me is the biggest sarcasm in my life and watching him do that to my children because we were married and never had children. So I've had children outside of him and, so I would, you know, stop him and say, you know, you're 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 doing it again. And it's almost like I needed to keep reminding him because he didn't even know when he was doing it. It was his his way of, of having somebody mm-hmm. love him. He would actually say, if I'm not picking on you or joking about you, then I don't care about you or I don't love you. So it's like, well, wait a minute. If I'm asking you not to pick on me and not to joke about me, then are you still going to be able to love me? And I think that was a big fear inside of me. And interestingly enough, when I started the program, that was one of the things that was in my heart was to create more intimacy in my relationships and be able to be more open in myself. So, um, yeah, just recognizing that and definitely seeing a lot of the sarcasm in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about um, what did you think of the practice that I shared with Tammy and her about her mother? I think it's I think it's a great practice. And in fact, um, even before you shared it, I was was doing that a lot for myself as well. And and actually, not I don't do it so much as him loving me as me loving myself enough to be able to say what it is that I need or say what it is that hurts me. Because I think that that's mm-hmm. my biggest thing is to be able to come out and say, you know, this is this hurts. And and mm-hmm. I don't want it anymore. I can't kind of like what you were talking about, you know, I I, I don't want to be treated unkindly. Mm-hmm. But in a marriage I'm like, I don't want to be treated unkindly, but I don't want to leave you know, I don't want to stop being in your company because this is what I I want to, so. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it's it's so powerful, Lynn, when we can train our minds to recognize that life is not happening to us. Mm. And that actually you're having this experience for a holy purpose. So part of it is so that you can recognize when you're accepting unloving treatment. Now, one of the things I've learned is, and it wasn't easy for me to learn. I'm not saying this stuff is easy, but what I do know is that it works. And it works for all kinds of people, not just me. This is why Massive Living Course is a year-long course. Because it's very tempting to just get information about what to do, never do it. And uh, we listen, we read the books, we listen to the audios, we watch the videos, we go to the workshops, we do all that stuff. We don't apply it, and then we don't have a life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. So having a life-changing experience is up to us if we're going to apply it or not. And so it's... That's all that this is about. That's why Masterful Living is a year-long course, so that people will have support and love around them from the group 
to continue to practice and not give up. So the when we can change our mind about people, they miraculously start treating us differently. So in my family, I, I realized I can be the fulcrum point of love in my family. And what happened was I noticed that my family did start to treat me differently. Hmm. I started to treat them differently. I was treating myself differently. And then I noticed that they were treating themselves differently. So what I noticed was that as I kept standing in this place of I have loving relationships. My family is loving relationships. And I noticed that my parents were speaking more kindly towards each other. You know, my I mean, look, like I said, my family was a mixture of love and kindness and caring and compassion and sarcasm and passive-aggressive codependency. It was a mixture of all these things, as most families are. And so I noticed that my parents, their relationship shifted. I noticed that my brother and his wife, their relationship shifted. And the way that my brother and his wife are raising their children is completely different than the way my parents raised us, just as my parents' way of raising us was very different from the way their parents raised them. So um, I noticed that um, in my brother brother's household, there's there, my brother can be sarcastic and stuff, and so can my sister-in-law. But there's nowhere near as much. There's not as much unkindness and blaming and things like that as there was in my parents' household. And so what I saw in my family was that when I changed, everybody in the family was changing too. So I that's how I learned through my observation, okay, it's really all about me then. If I don't like the world I see, it's up to me to change my mind about it. So, And this was why when I discovered the teachings of Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., I realized, oh, okay, this is what... The practice of nonviolence is. The practice of nonviolence is a practice of love, compassion. And so I began to practice that and I saw all my relationships change in beautiful ways. And I'm so grateful because it taught me I am not powerless. I am powerful because the power of God is in me. And the power of God is how I Hold things in my mind. There is nothing in this world more powerful in our experience than what the way we hold things in our mind. So rather than trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic while the water is coming up to our waist or trying to make things happen in the world, let us instead change our mind about the world and see the world change. That's how it works. The world is not happening to us. We are not victims of circumstance and situations and other people's stuff. We are powerful, powerful beings, and we are here to bust up that thinking, to break loose from it. And so this is where we practice in our families. We hold it 
differently. And this is one of the main things, the main transformations that people experience in Masterful Living is that uh, transformation, that deep, deep transformation. So uh, I wanted to say that Sue had written in um, earlier that um, uh, the rolling of the eyes she wrote in represents this is totally unreasonable. I think that's true. And uh, we've got a couple other things written in here. Jody writes in, I make jokes to try to lighten up conversation when people are making unkind or judgmental statements because I am extremely uncomfortable and I'm pretty sure they have no idea they're saying anything unkind. It seems to diffuse the negative energy more times than not, just saying. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I've done that too, uh, Jody, and that can work. And I, it's also about really just taking that moment to really tune within. What is the highest and best here? What is the most loving response? I'm willing to take responsibility for my experience. Response dash ability. I have response ability. Without recognizing that our experience is our response ability, uh, we are missing a big part of our healing and improving our experience. Now Shelley wrote in a question a few days ago. She wrote, <clears throat> Hello sweet Jennifer. I'm enjoying your classes and learning so very much, so thank you. This last class, Relationship Reboot, has been difficult for me. I am currently doing the divine experiment on three relationships and believe 100% that I will be healed with two of them. The third is a former boyfriend, Joe, and I don't think I have to let, I have let go. I don't think I've let go. There's a part of me that is energetically still hanging on. My question and confusion is, should I do the work assignments around that relationship or is that taking it off the altar? Also, I've been doing the other things that you have suggested for extra support and he is still in my heart and I feel stuck like I am failing. Could it be fear about moving on? I'm putting this question in my prayers on the altar and I'm trusting divine guidance. Much love, Shelley. So, Shelley, here's the thing. And I'm so glad you brought this up. So glad. The thing to be aware of is when we put things on the altar, when we give the Holy Spirit the relationship to have a holy relationship, we give it to the higher self for healing. But we have set in our mind how we think it should be. Then we have not let it go. It's not on the altar. Not really. It's really not. And it's time for us to be aware of that. We have to give up the attachment in order to have happiness. We don't have to give up the relationship, but we do have to give up the attachment. This is one of the most challenging parts of this teaching. It's one of the most challenging parts of our growth experience is giving up the attachment does not mean giving up the relationship. But if we have an idea of how it should be, how we want it to be, we have to surrender that because the attachment impedes our healing. 
Because as long as we have an attachment of how we want it to be, how we'd like it to be, how we think it should be, then we're not open to the highest and best. This has been the most difficult thing for me in my life to learn, is to give up the attachment. And it's been the most liberating. You see, and this is how our challenges are. The things that are the most challenging, the moments when it is the most difficult, if you're addicted to something and you uh, feel most like you'd like to relapse or indulge and you don't choose to do it in that moment, you have a breakthrough. You access your personal power. But when there's a craving and a yearning and you give into it, you're literally just handing over your personal power and then it feels upsetting, deeply upsetting. It feels sickening. And in relationship, it, in particular, it feels very sickening when we give somebody else our power. Just like it feels sickening when somebody else gives us their power. And we'll get into that more in all of these relationship classes. So fortunately, we don't have to cover everything in one class. All right. So... uh we're at time here, actually past time. We're going to start moving to um, uh, classes that are under an hour and a half. But Anand's got his hand up here. So real quickly, let's see, just see what Anand has to say. Hey there. Oh, thank, yeah, I was, just, I, I was just thinking to myself, I, have, I, I just don't know how I'm ever going to go beyond the, the negative thinking and the bad words that go on in my head and the attack thoughts that I have and it just like I, I start getting panicky because I don't want to I don't I, I don't want to go there with my mind and I, it's like I have an instant fight response and my dad said to me a couple of weeks ago some time ago he said you know it's like you have anger at the tip of your nose is what he said which is some old Indian thing saying that like be ready to burst any time in anger and I feel like I've suppressed my anger so many times that I've made like some sort of anger machine inside of me and so like I don't know what what I'm really saying but I almost feel like I can't do this stuff I feel like I can't do it but I think I can it's just like I get so trapped in my physical anxiety and this and that that I don't feel like I have enough space to actually change my thoughts around because there's too many thoughts happening at the same time so I feel kind of like completely physically like shut down so I don't know if there's anything you can say I, I would appreciate it I don't know where I'm going with that thought so I, that's what I was, was thinking maybe I just need to practice what you were saying with my relationships and just keep repeating it over and over again until I can really connect with working in the invisible or whatever because I think I'm working really hard on the visible and it's just, it's been very mind-bending this last, I don't know, I'm, I'm really struggling. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm just going to meet you out because there's so much feedback on your line. It's hard on the ears. And um, one of the things I encourage you to do, Anand, because I believe from what you've shared before that you have the time, start re-listening to the classes. Go back to the beginning of the year. And start re-listening because you will hear what you couldn't hear before. And that will make a huge difference in your life. 
Uh, one of the things I would suggest that you be mindful of is to be aware. Uh, people don't even realize it, but a lot of times uh, people are, uh, what they're eating and drinking and things like that create a lot of disturbance in their energetic field in their physical, emotional, mental fields. And so um, really starting to notice uh, what you're eating and what you're drinking and does it make you feel good? Do you feel more balanced or less balanced? And just out of self-love, stop eating the things that create a sense of less balance and just being more and more mindful about that. It will support you in feeling more emotionally and mentally balanced. And if you can, I don't know how much time you spend outdoors, but a lot of times when people are um, bouncing all over the place, they're not getting enough outdoor time and getting fresh air, sunlight, these kinds of things. Um, and also if you can, exercise and things like that. So, um, yeah, so thank you. And uh, we can talk more about this next week. And Lori, I see you raising your hand there, but we're going to conclude with that. And so uh, you can... Bring up your question at the beginning next time. And uh, thank you for that. So I'm going to invite everyone to take a breath of love and gratitude with me. And once again, I'd like to remind you to read the Healed Relationships section, Chapter 17 of the Text of A Course in Miracles, Section 5, The Healed Relationship. Uh, it's just a few pages and reading it carefully will support you in doing the things we talked about last week in terms of having a holy relationship. And so thank you for everyone who shared. Great sharing today. Very, very helpful to all of us. So let's place our hand on our heart and recognize that we're willing to be wholehearted here. We are willing to wholeheartedly give ourselves to having loving relationships, to be a safe and loving place. We're grateful and thankful to open our hearts and open our minds to the power and the presence of love. We're grateful and thankful to recognize that where we are, love is. We're partnered up with the higher Holy Spirit self, the I am that I am, and we're letting the I am presence lead the way. We're grateful and thankful to call forth angels into all of our relationships, supporting us in making the loving choices, becoming responsive instead of reactive. We're grateful and thankful to rid ourselves of all passive-aggressive behaviors and to know the truth, not just about ourselves, but everyone in our life. We're setting ourselves free. We're setting everyone free. And in deep and abiding gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I am going to play a song here. So uh, it's a fun song. I it, It's uh, one you probably all know by James Taylor. It's called Shower the People. Shower the People You Love with Love. <laughs> 
James Taylor. You can play the game and you can act out the part, though you know it wasn't written for you. you tell me how can you stand there with your broken heart? Doesn't take any sacrifice. Oh, father and mother, sister and brother. If it feels nice, don't think twice. Shower these people you love with love. Show them the way that you feel. Things are gonna work out fine. Why? 